Welcome to the first Power of Digital Policy podcast for season three. Can you believe it, season three? Welcome to the Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Thanks for joining me on this journey, where together we explore the balance of risk and opportunity and how to best enable your organization and digital workers by getting your digital policy correctly defined. One of the areas we've been seeing in the headlines regularly is security and ransomware. It's a tough area with a constantly evolving strategy and therefore policy. To learn more, I spoke with Brian Spanswick, Chief Information Security Officer at Cohesity. Brian brings 20 years of experience managing IT and cybersecurity organizations within high-growth companies, while also providing consulting services for large, globally dispersed blue-chip enterprises. His leadership is pivotal in advancing core business operations, accelerating digital transformations, and building cybersecurity protocols that secure company, customer, and employee data. Let's tune in and listen to the insights which Brian shared. Brian, amid Rampant attacks that we're seeing in the daily headlines detailing the breaches. Obviously, businesses are caught in this really hard place between sort of do they pay or do they suffer if they're faced with a ransomware situation? Are more businesses choosing to pay these days? What are the biggest drivers that you're seeing in the decision making process? Yeah, it, it, it's a tough question for sure, and one that each company really does have to consider based on their specific situation and environment. I talked to my peers in Silicon Valley. This the conversation comes up a lot. And it's understood that if you pay, you're continuing to fund these organizations. You're continuing to fund these kinds of attacks. But the trick is, how do you put yourself in a position where the, the decision isn't as hard as it appears? Meaning, are there things that the security group are investing in that minimizes the impact of these attacks and then takes the, the option of paying off the table? So that's interesting because, you know, even with the best of security, it seems like cyber events of sorts are likely to happen. An organization is going to face something sooner or later. Is ransomware a battle that we've lost? At ransomware is not a battle that we've lost at this point. I think historically what we've done is really focus on the protect controls, trying to prevent the breach that leads to ransomware. And we should continue to do that. And one of the reasons you're seeing such a, an increased proliferation of ransomware attacks is it goes after the vulner- where the companies are most vulnerable. And that's through social engineering, things like phishing attacks. They're the hardest to protect against because it's that human behavior variable that's really difficult to lock down. It's, but companies should certainly have a phishing program, should be educating and training their employees to be able to recognize and know what not to do in those situations. But I think what you're seeing in the last 6, 12 months, especially as these attacks have become more pervasive, is companies starting to not just invest in preventing the attack, but also investing in minimizing the impact of it. So historically, it's been really difficult to have strong uh, RTO and RPO targets, how quickly you can recover from your backups and at what time you recover from. And more companies are looking at that option as a way to minimize the impact of a ransomware attack so that you aren't held hostage to those demands from the attacker. So let's talk about that for a moment. It seems like a lot of organizations don't have a clue right now about what data they have. So how do they know if they're in a ransom situation, if they pay that they're going to receive their data back? Or how do they know even what they've lost? Does it matter? Do consumers want to know? 
So consumers certainly want to know. It, our survey showed that consumers are very much aware of this threat out there and absolutely are thinking about what the potential impact is to the, to the organization or to themselves for the organizations that they uh, interact with business with. The challenge, you're right, it's hard for companies to know where all their data are. There's a good place to start when you look at your core business processes and starting to lock down the data that's associated with the systems that execute the, the business within the organization. That's where the ransomware attackers are going to be most focused because that's where they can disrupt service. So in these ransomware attacks, there's two approaches for them to exploit monies from an organization. One is from uh, holding the data captive, not so much stealing it, but making it not accessible by an organization, therefore really stopping their internal business processes. And the other is stealing the data and, and threatening to sell it. But I think it's more common from these ransomware attacks, the latter situation. So with that understanding, you can start to lock down and focus on protecting the data associated with those core business processes. What are some of the best practices that you're advising organizations around that? Because it seems like there's certainly a struggle in terms of how do you lock down? How much of a lockdown do you really need? What's good enough? What's too much? What's just about right? Yeah. So there's a couple of aspects that need to be considered when you're thinking about locking down the data. You want to make sure that that data is protected or has a perimeter that makes it difficult for them to be able to access the system or environment where the data is housed. Then thinking, also thinking about the solution with which you store and manage your data from. So if there's characteristics or security controls that uh, minimize the attacker's ability to access the data, change it or delete it, certainly that the data is encrypted and that encryption is sophisticated enough to make it so that they can't use the data. Those are all things that companies can invest in. When you think about it in the context of a ransomware attack disrupting business services, the other thing to think about is, can you restore your systems from those backups? So I've been in IT a long time and uh, historically air gapping was something that we considered in the context of protecting our data. There's, yeah. Those systems were not accessible through the network. But that doesn't work today when you're thinking about a ransomware attack, because you need to be able to recover your systems from that data. And so with those data protect controls that I just spoke about, if in addition, you've got the capability to quickly recover from those backups and from a recovery point that's really recent, then you're doing two things to protect yourself against these types of attacks. One is trying to protect access or prevent a breach. And the other is that in the case of a breach, how quickly can you restore services so that you're not, that you're not um, put in a position to be a victim of, of ransomware? One of the biggest challenges that I see these days, especially with digital marketers and their teams, is really lack of awareness in the security space. What do you see when you look across the landscape and how do you advise that CISOs start to partner or make themselves more relevant to folks that can go out and just procure SaaS services and not really pay attention to security and sort of flip the coin and hope for the best? Yeah, you're seeing a little bit of a, ch of a change in that trend uh, because of all of the press that these kinds of attacks are, are getting. So the conversations that I have now with our executive staff and with our board of directors, historically, security was seen almost as a tax, a utility that they had to pay for. And in today's environment, you're seeing more and more C-suite executives, board of directors 
really driving the conversations around the level of security and investment they need for their business to be viable. That starts to bleed into the conversations where um, you do have other business units procuring uh, SaaS-based tools without the same level of security controls that I would have if, I, if my IT organization as a part of the CISO group is was going to be managing those tools. So organizations really need to think about that because it's not just the deployment of the controls, but the attack surface that we're able to protect. So in uh, previous companies, and, and I'm seeing this more and more with my peer group, is that the IT organizations are actually getting involved and that business units can't just go out and procure SaaS-based solutions without without the CISO organization completing a security assessment. And then also a discussion around how do we maintain the controls associated with those SaaS solutions, either if we're outsourcing it to the vendor or the business unit is taking it on. In our case, if a business unit does take it on, the CISO organization will assess the security posture of those tools on a quarterly basis to make sure that we're not increasing the exposure of our security posture. And is quarterly and uh, kind of basis enough, you think, or do things evolve more rapidly? I know that uh, for some of the organizations I work with, they settle on every 12 months, which seems a little bit uh, too infrequent. Well, for sure. It depends on the controls that you're assessing. So there are certain controls that are tied to, that are um, looking at how we're protecting ourselves um, from external attackers, certain controls around the encryption or the protection of the data. We're actually monitoring the effectiveness of those controls ongoing. If there's something that, because those are all systemic controls or programmatic controls that we can assess more frequently. Controls like training, some of the communication controls that we've got in place, Quarterly is sufficient. And then we've got some governance controls that are more tied to a compliance program that we do annually. But it's really thinking about the type of control that it is, that the, the security that you've deployed, how frequently you need to be monitoring its effectiveness. Brian, you mentioned a bit ago that you surveyed consumers around ransomware and specifically kind of gauged their payout sentiment. What did you learn? What have you uh, seen from consumer feedback? I wasn't too surprised by the feedback that a majority of the consumers said that they would lose confidence in a business partner that paid the ransom, and which makes sense. And it, it's a, I, their interpretation is that a company putting themselves in that position does not have the security hygiene that they would expect from a trusted partner. That's where they damage companies even beyond the cost of paying the ransom is that cost to brand equity, customer loyalty. One of the things that we saw in the survey is that a, a significant number said that they would negatively uh, impact their decision to continue to do business with that partner. Does the sentiment change depending on the data type or with whom it's associated? For example, I'm driving down the highway, my car is going through a toll device and there's data being collected. I don't really care about that, but you talk about maybe my personal medical data or my kids' school data, and all of a sudden my posture changes. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it is different based on the type of data that that's exposed. And I was surprised that consumers were getting that sophisticated, understanding that distinction between the criticality of the data. Because I think if you would have asked, if we would have done the survey, maybe even as recent as three or four years ago, they would have seen all of that as a threat. And I think they're getting more sophisticated that, especially with the use of social media, everybody's comfort with pulling data from the internet, that there is, that data in and of itself isn't threatening, personal data in and of itself, it's specific kinds of data that creates an exposure or a risk for the individual. I also think that's because of that, 
that it is so important protecting the consumer data because they do understand what's critical. They do understand, even if they don't know the term, personal identifiable information, healthcare information. They understand the impact if that information is shared. And that's where those trust issues uh, come with their business partners. You've mentioned uh, the responsibilities or accountabilities for the organization, certainly having a training program for employees. But what really should be the requirements for end users? I mean, what is the role of a consumer in security in any kind of ransomware threat? Or should there be a role or an expectation? Well, there is a role as it pertains to, it's similar to the phishing attack scenario that I described internal to the organization. There are attackers that are looking for that individual information going after it in a very similar fashion with things like phishing attacks, things like bogus websites that capture their credentials that then allows the attacker to gain access to that individual's information within a specific organization. So there is a responsibility for the consumers to think about how they are exposing their data and in the ways that they're interacting with technology. It's definitely a shared responsibility. And so how do we net that out? I was thinking specifically about this uh, crazy scenario that happened to us last November. My son, who's in high school, very early stages of high school, ended up getting an email sent to him at his school address, which, by the way, has his unique student ID as the email address. And it was a crazy kind of phishing attempt asking about replenishing his school lunch account, which also has the same user ID. And because it was using that student user ID, he felt that it was probably a trustworthy source, but something in the back of his mind still said, hey, let me go check with my mom before I answer. And it was very obviously a phishing attack, but the school never really did anything about it. And here they are using this unique student ID as an email address, which publicly ties an individual in a very unique way to a lot of data. When we're talking about a business versus an educational institution versus a nonprofit versus a government, are there different levels of responsibilities and accountabilities that you see? Or is there sort of a minimum threshold we should be adopting from a consumer posture? You would like to think there would be a minimum threshold that we should be adopting from a consumer posture for sure. The challenge with it is the cost to be able to protect. And so you're seeing this, these kinds of attacks. It's a great example with, with the education institution. Most government institutions, or many of them, don't have the monies to invest. A training program around phishing is an expensive program for a corporation. And the corporation's weighing that risk against the revenue and the profits. You don't have that scenario with some of these public organizations. I think in those situations, more so than with a, with a corporation, We've got to have good hygiene on the consumer side because there's just not going to be the same level of controls and the same level of protections that you would see in an organization like a bank or Amazon or Google or some of those other um, organizations that have a professional stake that they're investing in. So that being the case, what are the three things you would say to any consumer out there or any parent who has somebody in uh, high school middle school, what are the top three things you would say, hey, know this, do this, and as a consumer, carry those good hygiene practices forward? What are the things we should do this and as a consumer, you know, carry those good hygiene practices forward? What what are the things we should focus on? Yeah. Uh, the first thing I would do is make sure that we've that you've got strong passwords 
and all of the all of the sites that you interact with. So using something like a LastPass solution, where there's random generation of passwords that can be managed through a tool or an application, really makes it difficult for there to be some of the hard cracking of of personal passwords, that's going to go a long way to protecting. The second thing is really just common sense. Think to yourself, why am I being asked to provide this information and does it make sense in this transaction? That also goes a long way. You put those two things together and I think you'll see that most, consum- most cons- consumers or individuals would avoid the situations that we're talking about. The third thing is making sure that the websites that you're interacting with are secure. And you can see, you'll see that in your browser in the upper left-hand corner. It'll tell you if you're uh, dealing with a secure, and you'd be surprised at how much the, how far those fundamentals would go to protecting an individual. It's really no different than a corporation. We're not doing anything super sophisticated when we're ensuring we have the right level of our security posture within the organization. We're making sure our data is encrypted. We're making sure we got a set of firewall protection, that we are up to date on addressing vulnerabilities. The foundations, even as attackers become more sophisticated, really go a long way for that kind of protection. That's great. That's wonderful to kind of net it out into not just simple actions, but ones that we can take right away to ensure that our practices are getting sounder and helping us across the board. So one last question here for you, Brian, because I'm very curious. Obviously, the best you know practice in the world is make sure that you don't Put yourself in a position where you're going to be actually held at ransom. But what are some of the mitigations that you would advise an organization? What should they proactively be doing? Um, should they be doing some kind of training around negotiations? Should be they be buying insurance? Obviously, you've talked about buttoning up your security practices, but what else should they be thinking about beyond the basics of training and, and doing good hygiene? Yeah, so so tra- training is a big one, and it's something that needs to be uh, vigilant. They need to not just have an annual security awareness training program, but they really should have an ongoing program that creates a culture of security within the organization. The other thing uh, that's super critical that goes beyond, I talked a little bit earlier about minimizing the impact of a ransomware attack by being able to aggressively recover from backups and restore your core processes. It's not enough just to have that capability from a technology perspective. You actually have to practice it over and over again. It's one thing to have um, instructions of how you would recover core business processes written down, or even if you go so far as to test the recovery of the technology, it's not enough. You've got to be running scenarios where you've got folks that are involved in the end-to-end process walking through what it takes to recover from backup. And you should be doing those kinds of tabletops. You don't have to test every business process quarterly, but if you're doing it across a multiple set of processes with similar uh, roles that are engaged in that testing, you'll start to build muscle memory. It won't be exactly like when an attack occurs, but you would be shocked at the difference that those that kind of rehearsal makes. It, 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 cuts, it cuts days out of your ability to recover from backup. And days means everything in these scenarios. If you think about a business not being able to execute or recognize revenue for several days, that's intrusive. This is great insights, Brian. Really appreciate you being with us and sharing all of your knowledge. Certainly learned a lot. And I appreciate you taking the time to share with us the practical tips. Certainly come back and, and tell us more as you move along and as things change in the marketplace. But for now, I hope everybody certainly pays attention to the insights that you found around consumer sentiment 
and carries that forward so that we're not on the front page of the Washington Post, New York Times, or any other newspaper or news outlet for anything else but good reason. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining The Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.